So this evening I'd like to explore with you uh, one of the great insight themes and um, just to open it up and bring some reflection and exploration. And I wanted to begin by just inviting us to reflect a little on this word insight. It's such a, you know, key part of certain traditions that we're somewhat involved in. And my sense is, you know, in my own experience and in, in listening to you on retreat, and perhaps it's also true in our life, it certainly has been at mine, that there's a sense that insight happens at the most um, unexpected times, <laughs> right? <laughs> So just, I think that's really important to bear in mind. And I, you know, I, I don't know about you, I can think back on my life and remember maybe insights as a child or, you know, as a teenager, or, you know, those moments, maybe even pre-Buddhist. Um, the really important understandings, the realizations have happened. You know, sometimes that really make a huge difference in our life and and sometimes just small things that have made a small but significant difference, you know, in this sort of journey of trying to understand ourselves, trying to understand what on earth's going on and <laughs> how we can relate to life and ourselves and others, you know, in ways that are helpful. You know, ways that are helpful. I think for me the path is all about that really. And so these insight themes, which I want to go into one particularly this evening, I don't want to separate it out from everything else that we're doing. You know, the mindfulness that we're cultivating, the compassion, the kindness, the equanimity. They all have their insight aspects, don't they? Like any process, any meditative process, we're we're seeing, we're looking deeply and you know, perhaps that the insight is kind of that process of seeing and investigating and also then at times that, oh, actually <laughs> understanding something. Um, so this sense of mindfulness, you know, the aspect of it that's about, that's about learning and the sense of there's always more to discover and more to understand. And that's certainly true for me. I know that my understanding of the Dhamma is, you know, like this. Not, you know, feels like I don't know much really. But um, it's just got that beautiful, always onward leading, deepening, always more to discover and understand and share. And uh, yeah, so, you know, what are we understanding and realizing, you know? And if you, you think of, I have just one little memory to pop in a few example, examples of years ago I was standing, just happened to be outside Dayton Airport, you know. I mean, where does insight happen? <laughs> it's, not fuss, it's not fussy, really. Um, and, yeah, I was with, with my partner and... Um, I was rabbiting on about something like I often am, you know, blah, 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 and they're patiently listening, etc. And And I found myself kind of like just talking about myself, as one does, unfortunately, a lot, right? Um, as, and sort of sort of being a little, I think, a little conceited, say, oh, I'm, 
you know, we're talking about know, plans and things. I think, oh, I'm so flexible, you know, I'm happy to go with the flow and just do. And then it suddenly something just, this light bulb went on. I thought, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It, and, and it wasn't anything that, you know, my partner said or did. It was just, who knows, you know, it was just a moment of, oh my goodness, I can be so rigid and inflexible and I want to do what I want to do. And I'm, you know, trying to look flexible and, you know, like, yeah, sure, that would be great. Ah, yeah, um, maybe, what about if we, uh, you know, that's kind of thing. Um, So just a really small example, probably there's many of these. You know, early in my teaching, I used to write, write some of them down so I could share them. I've stopped doing that, I think. I don't know, I should try and some more recent ones. I mean, just I was outside trying to gather myself a little, collect myself a little together for the talk and kind of was walking outside. And so often for me, and I know for many of you, we talk about being outside is like a saving grace. I don't know. It's so interesting. You know, you always think, is it just me? It's never just you. Um, to go outside, to be in the forest, to, to look at the sky. And I really think this is so interesting, you know, that kind of sense of, I could feel a sense of um, connection, belonging, you know, with, with nature, with the trees. And it's like, oh, oh you know, not, that's not like a big, you know, huge light bulb moment, isn't it? But it's a kind of shift. It's a kind of shift of, oh, and I find that inside buildings, I can be so much more like a building, you know, like, oh, kind of, mm, you know, I've got sort of hard edges and, you know, I'm like, you know, I don't know, you know, the defenses and the stuff around people and understandable because, you know, well, won't talk more about that. But anyway, there can be trouble, right? Serious trouble. I'm trying to be serious. It doesn't work, does it? Oh well. And and yeah. So just really interesting to notice. Like I, when I was on retreat here once, I used to. I decided to notice what happened, how I felt, how it changed when I came out of my room door. It was really interesting. It's like, what are you doing in your room? You know, oh, you're picking a nose or whatever it is. And, you know, it's like, and then you come out and you're like... <laughs> <sighs> you know? <laughs> so I'm obviously not the only one doing that. So there you are, the little insight, you know, what happens. Interesting. Yeah. These different ways that we... We manifest what shifts and what happens. And I mean, this is a little bit of an intro into the theme of anatta that I want to explore a bit. So we've just been doing that without naming it. So if naming it freaks you out, you go, what the hell's that? Don't worry about it. Just keep with the, these experiences of how our sense of self kind of shows up and changes and is sometimes expansive and sometimes like a building. And um, that's, that's what I want to kind of open up. And just bring in some questioning around that and some sensitivity. And, of course, it's a huge topic. So um, 
there's a lot that I won't get to, but just that, just to let you know, that's sort of what we're <laughs> finding our way around. Maybe, maybe it will turn out to be about something else. So, um, yeah, I wanted to share a, a teaching from Rob Babea, um, whose book Seeing That Freeze, I've drawn a lot in this area and practiced with him. Um, I was lucky enough to know him and practice with him a bit, and he died a couple of years ago. So he said, insight is any realization or understanding or way of seeing that brings to any degree a dissolution of or decrease in dukkha. So that's why I was trying to give some examples of different, you know, different things, different sort of, that any, any realization, any understanding, so it can be very small, very modest. We might, you know, we might name it in some different way, but that there's some shift in how we're looking at something. I mean, I was, this comes up in our car, I was talking to someone either today or yesterday where just a very small thing, you know, the sound of something and how suddenly realizing what the sound was emanating from completely just like, oh, shifted the view, shifted the sense of that's really annoying and horrible to, oh, it's just that. And then, so it's a very simple example of how, you know, that's a moment to me of waking up, of, of sort of seeing, you know, how how we view something really shift really really you know is shaping our experience and and maybe you know we start to notice the ways of seeing that can kind of bring a a, mm, a dissolution or a fading of of dukkha of, of stress mm. and in this way in the way rob uh, taught it was we could really see metta as a way of seeing, as an insight practice. Like what happens if you look at yourself, at your experience, through the eyes of kindness? What happens if you look at other people in that way? You know, so there's a sense that actually that you could almost see that as a, an insight practice. And Christina's, Christina Feldman's book, The Boundless Heart, is the boundless heart. She goes into that a little bit of how the Brahma Viharas can can operate as insight practices, and and yeah, a lot more to could say about that. But just that sense of um, so often, I, I I feel this, you know, in my own practice and my own experience, and also in talking with you one to one, and how this incredible power of bringing some kindness, some connecting with some sense of compassion. And, and just, you know, often I can almost feel it, like the sense of how experience starts to change, but also it's, it's, it's already different as soon as you're kind of meeting it in that way. There's something that kind of, there's a shift, you know, like I sometimes think of, talk about the shift to awareness, that shift, which I think of as a moment of insight, a moment of, of kind of understanding, oh, you know, oh. Uh, and, and we could equally think of the shift to metta, you know, that, well, that shift, where, where were we before we were with metta? Probably with aversion. 
very commonly. And then there's this shift to metta, karuna, kindness, compassion. Yeah. So that shift, I just remembered another moment of insight. I was teaching in Finland. I already told a fin- Finnish story. I love Finland. I had very great fondness for, for the place and the people. And anyway, I was staying in someone's house. I was teaching another six-week six um, period there and doing various things. And I was staying in a room, this lovely, lovely house. And it was the day before I left that I suddenly realized that in the doorway of the room I had been walking in and out of for six weeks, there was a pull bar across the top. I feel I have mentioned this already to someone recently, maybe not to you. And I was like, wow, you know, that was not there. It had not been there, and I really was like, did, did, did she put that up today? You know, was that, was that, you know, wow. And I, I think that's another, it's like not just that moment, I mean, there was nothing particularly harmful about that, you know, it wasn't, a, but it was like a, a sort of teaching of how much we are not seeing so much of the time, right? So kind of as a, almost like that, Moments like that for me act as a kind of just remember that you really don't know what's going on. Really, very much. Maybe a bit sometimes, right? It's so, um, yeah. Anyway, simple example, but another kind of example of, of um, insight. And I'd say in that case, a dissolution or decrease decrease in stress is hopefully it's all in the service of being able to show up and be less harmful to oneself and others because of what you're not seeing and not understanding and not kind of taking taking into account. Hmm. So something we see really really for ourselves with some clarity, and then yeah maybe. We have to see again and again and again and remember. So the, these three characteristics, these three um, ways of uh, understanding and relating to experience, and I won't. I, I want to mention them them all because I think they kind of work together so beautifully. So and um, impermanence. So. I'm not going to say too much about that because Dara's going to talk about that on Friday. So, so this probably all of us have had these moments and times in our practice when we're very, very sort of acutely and um, sort of very specifically aware. And again, many, many different ways, aren't there? That that insight into impermanence. Sometimes it's that very deep, sort of detailed. Text sort of deep into the texture of the mind and the sense of um, one of you shared with me today an image that, um, that they said it was okay for me to share was of um, the mind or the self, whatever kind of yeah, either, either way, I yeah, self or mind. It's like a pointillist painting. Have you ever seen one of these paintings? It was like a tradit part of the French sort of. 
around the time of French Impressionism, I think, and they just did these paintings that was nothing but dots of colour. That was the, that was it. If you look really closely, if you've ever seen these paintings, it's amazing. You, you stand back and you see, you know, a whole scene and the river and people and everything, and then you go in close and it's just all these all these dots of colour. And just. Yeah, I really appreciated that image as maybe one of the ways, you know, the mind sort of helps us to connect with an understanding, helps us to kind of have some sense of touching something that can be so hard to articulate or put into words. And yeah, maybe images can 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 help with that. Um and another, oh, so many, I mustn't say too many Anicca examples, but um, Dora said she didn't mind. She said, well, we will say different things, which is absolutely true. So, <laughs> um, There was a, a time when, um, again, in, in my life, I went back to the village I grew up in, which I do on a regular basis. It's a kind of pilgrimage to touch the earth where I, you know, where I grew up very important place to me and um, used to go on these walks with my foster mum you know with the dog and it was like a so to go back and like kind of see and touch these places Um, and on this one occasion I remember I set out I was going to do one of my walks right my walks or our walks that I would do with her and I walked out the back and down the road and then through a bit of the meadow, has this fence. There's <laughs> this great big fence across my path. So this is also this was also an anatta teaching, right? That there was some sense that that was my. What are they doing? This big house and you, know, you put a like it just felt so um, shocking. So for me, it was an Anicca moment, but now I'm realizing it was also an Anatta moment because it was this sense of my place, my path, you know, from the past and how dare you and the, the kind of, then I guess that's a realization now I'm thinking of it in retrospect of, again, the ungovernability of life and the uncontrollability of things that, you know, I thought I could come to my village <laughs> and do my walk (laughs) no not this time so interesting and I think you know I think about all our habits and rituals and things in our life and on retreat where you know we 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 get we so love these kind of yeah I do this now and I go then and there's that there and right and oh my god where is it it's not there that's moved Ah, <laughs> can't. So much of our comfort and our sense of, you know, kind of orientation in the world around these things. So yeah, it's an anatta teaching. You see, I just had an insight. Da-da, live on the on the FR channel. Boy, it's even better in the library too. The interviews that would be really like, you know, mega Dharma TV. Hopefully it will never happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that sense of um, something that was like, you know, here Rob is emphasizing that sense of it dis- dissolves or 
reduces the dukkha. And in that moment, even though it was unpleasant, I think, again, it's just a moment, moment, moment of maybe undermining some of that very strong, largely unconscious of expectation or need for things to be predictable. You know, and having such compassion for that. And, I mean, we need some of that, don't we? So it's not like to say, you know, we can do that, but can we, can we have these realizing, you know, it's like when this place shuts, shut down on March the 12th, 2020 I mean my goodness all of us I know in our different ways and our different situations were just reeling and you know my colleague Annie you know bless her she sat in the hall and she said to people you have to go I'm just remembering it now it's just it was so awful I mean amidst all the other awfulness perhaps you know but who you know you can't compare really and just that sense of having the carpet taken out from under you again. Like everything. I remember doing walking meditation obsessively, going up and down my little bit of the drive by the car, just trying to sort of, you know, find some steadiness. You know, that sense of, wow. Um, you really don't know. Like, you really don't know. And, and yet we go back, don't we, to our old expectations and our old senses, or well, maybe we can go back to at least some of the ways we liked it being. And gosh, you know. Um, so yeah. Um, and again, that ungovernability, which is a word I really like to use with anatta, which is often translated as not self. Because what it's really about is this sense of trying to control, or thinking we can control, or thinking we should be able to control, right? So it's very much an activity. I think of it as an activity of, of you know, this kind of contraction, which is about wanting to control or wanting to get hold of something for some security. I don't want to go too much into that in this talk. I was thinking of talking about that a lot, but... I think I'm just going to touch on it because I think that I've... Anyway, this is an ongoing reflection for me that if we get too much into thinking about self, it's like a hall of mirrors. It's like a, a, a detour without end. It's like chasing a, a unicorn. Right? Well, this is my kind of view anyway. And so... What I'd like to do for most of the rest of the talk, if I can interrupt myself and stop giving stories, um, is just to just to sort of kind of offer a few different ways, perhaps, that we can incline our minds towards this insubstantiality. Is another word I really like for anatta. I find that much more accessible than some of the other words, which is why I love that quote I shared from the Buddha on Monday about the aggregates, this, this, all the texture of our experience being in different ways, insubstantial. Like I'm actually not sure what Pali word is translated there, but, you know, void, empty, insubstantial. You know, and again, it's like different words, different images. I think this is another area, like my obsession with imagery and simile at the moment, 
you know, like with the Brahma Viharas and other other sort of wholesome qualities that we're trying to cultivate, imagery, story, um, simile can be so, so helpful. So just to very briefly mention those images from the teaching on the aggregates from yesterday. So seeing the body as if it were a lump of foam floating down a river. Yeah, and you can, if you want to go and check these out, you can. But, you know, even just for a moment, that sort of... So for me, you know, I don't know what it's like for you, but I can kind of feel something resonating with that, something... Ah, okay. It's not as solid as I think it is. And then, you know, reflecting on that. And, and, and sometimes I reflect on it and I think, yeah, it really is. The body really is quite like that. I mean, I'm not a chemist or a, a physics major or anything like that. But just the little bit I know about chemistry and these amazing facts like 99.9% of your body is space, you know. And this is scientific not, you know, or a 70-something percent water. You know, these kind of things where it just helps you to kind of, kind of, yeah, a different way of looking, a different way of looking. And like like Rob was, was trying these out and seeing what the effect is and what kind of helps, what seeing what seeing what the effects are and how you're relating to what's happening. And it's always rooted in presence and what's happening here and now like the sound of the rain you know the sound of the rain which is actually the the second simile for the aggregate of vedana is a water bubble a rain bubble on a puddle a raindrop falling making a little bubble and then it pops have you watched have you watched that it's a wonderful thing to kind of look for and see and it, the drop goes into the water and then somehow that makes a bubble appear. And then if you watch for a while, eventually it's sort of... So he's inviting us to maybe, again, the way Rob teaches, we can actually take that up and see what it's like to sort of see that experience of pleasure, pain coming and going in that way. Or the um, the image for the for the perception, you know, a mirage. Again, the the unicorn, something that's not really there, or that sense of how um, we're seeing something. That's for sure. There's an experience of seeing happening, but what are we seeing? No. And in a way, everything has this sort of mirage-like quality, a sort of dream-like quality, looked at in a certain way. And again, not then going down that road of, right, well, that's the truth, that's how it really is. Because maybe there are ways of, different ways of seeing it, letting things be really solid, letting people be really a person, letting it be personal, being able to kind of shift but also, I remember this beautiful story from, I can't even remember which teacher it was, an insight teacher who used to do this thing with his daughter where they would be together and they once a year they would sit and look at each other 
until they could no, they 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 didn't see a father or a daughter anymore. It just went to something else. Just I don't even remember something more open, something more. I don't know. And then they come back again, <laughs> back to the okay that perception. So again, it's it, I find that very beautiful because it's like it was helpful. Maybe just okay, insubstantial, and seeing those ways that we see other people. You know, I think is part of anatta as well, and and this sense of we have we can get very fixed views of people, are very easy perhaps all the time in a way. I, I tried to find this poem I once heard about, which I couldn't find. I'll find it sometime. I wanted to mention this is a lovely poem that suggests that you should see people as if they were a rubber ball. You know, that they can bounce and then it bounce there and then they're over there and it's changing. It's like allowing people to to change. And I, I notice sometimes on retreat, like with you all, that sometimes, you know, and I know I'm, <laughs> I show up in different ways as well. As you know, I'm not the same person every time I'm in the hall or speak with you one-to-one. There is, you know, many different ways that this whatever it is kind of shows up um but i've really noticed how sometimes i meet with somebody one week and i have some image in my mind about who they are how they are and then the next week this different person comes in <laughs> i'm like what happened <laughs> who are you you know i really have to like wow i really is the same person and probably maybe you've had this experience on retreat that often it's the dharma or something that, you know, people look softer or more open or, or, or the other way around. You know, last week they looked fine and this week they looked like, oh, you know. It's usually the other way around, but maybe that's a warped perception I have, I don't know. So we can do ourselves and other people great service by, you know, that's a, that would be interesting to to look like now I'm looking. What if you see you all as a mirage? That's not all you are. That's not, you know what I mean? It's just, oh, there's an arising sights and sounds and something something happening. Yeah, so just to see, is that freeing? Does that, can, can that maybe ease some of the, the dukkha that's so prevalent for so many of us around other human beings? You know, which is understandable given what we've been through, but it, it tends to then get habitual, doesn't it? And I, I don't know, there's something I, I know for me I have to keep working on that. And it's one of the reasons I like to look, you know, it's like, the images and ideas I might have about people and how scary you are. By the way, you're very scary. You may not know this. Now, I'm, I'm joking. But I'm not. You know, I can... It's like I have this idea of people and, oh, they're all going to be judging me and saying, God, why do, they, why do they employ her and this kind of thing. And it's so, it's so rarely anything like that, you know, than when you talk and there's a kind of, more grounded sense of okay yeah and anyway um 
Right, I'm talking too much. Oh, well. <laughs> That's what's happening. Um, I feel like I'm, you know, when you're trying to chase a child around who's, I don't know, four or five and full of energy. And you just, I feel a little bit like that. I'm like this child I'm trying to follow. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, so much to share. Oh, yeah, so I was going to share um, a few of these phrases that I've played with over the years and a quotation from the Buddha about where these these kind of come from. So in the teachings, when the Buddha talks about anatta and how to practice with that, I'm just going to read you this short piece and then I'll put these on the board. So if you want to play with this, you you can. So this is, this is the Buddha, which, and I'm changing the language a bit as well to be uh, more inclusive. Practitioners, form is impermanent. What is impermanent is stressful. What is stressful is not self. Or as I would say, governable. What is not self should be seen as it really is with correct wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees thus as it really is with correct wisdom, the mind becomes dispassionate and is liberated from the taints by non-clinging. Right, so... So in the service of non-clinging. And so I, I want to share these phrases and there's a way of practicing with them where a bit like with meta practice or something, you have phrases that you can very gently kind of drop in like we might do with images. And what I've found really lovely is that I have found some beneficial effect from using these phrases and a while ago, I did this when I really, I had really very little idea of what this meant. <laughs> I just was, it still feels a little. But so I, I pre- did the practice anyway to sort of see what happened. So it was, um, I was sort of wandering around doing this for a few days. And I, I was in a swimming pool, swimming. And there was this um, big... Um, uh, diving board at one end of the pool that had no um, buffers between it and what it was resting on so that when someone bounced on it and jumped off the thing went up and then went clank like this really loud metal on metal clank really loud and I was getting very annoyed you know you know how that goes how can they do this and why didn't they should have and I don't know these you know um, all that and so I thought well let's try this (laughs) so I was swimming up and down swimming up and down because you know I always feel better when I'm swimming so maybe it was the swimming rather than the anyway I think it was both I'm going to go with both it was a good combination good combination like walking and anything it's like so I was swimming along, going, not me, not mine. Thinking at the beginning, like, well, what's this going to do, you know? 
and our swimming ongoing, with, and particularly with regard to the sound and the hearing, and the hearing. Not me, not mine, you know, and I just kept doing it, and it must have been, I don't know, a while, 15, 20 minutes or something, and the mind, this mind became serene. It was really eerie. I was completely undisturbed by clang, clang, shrieking, clang, clang, huge splash, shrieking, clang, serene. Not me, not mine. So I I tell that because I think that there's a way that this sense of owning, the activity of owning and eyeing and myeing, as the Buddha says, is happening so much of the time we don't really know, we don't even know. We don't even know it's happening. So for me, the simple power of some practicing with a phrase like that is that it kind of cut through. And, you know, it just cut through. It was just, boom, you know, sword of wisdom or something. And, yeah, you know, before that, I, I maybe could have had some other way of... But it just, like... I can't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can articulate that any better at the moment. But I want to share a few other... Something that's helped me sometimes is uh, looking into my experience and actually making it more an inquiry. Like, is there any me here? You know, and then kind of looking around. Is there any, you know, is there any me here? And I, I tell you, whenever I've done that, I couldn't find anything at all. Absolutely no, 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 nothing at all. And so there's this activity of owning, there's that activity of grasping, there's that activity of craving, and there's that feeling of, of, of something me-ish, but there is no me bit, right? And I think that that sort of... So the practice, actually, because we're talking about something that is ah, like impermanence or like unsatisfactoriness... It just, it just is. It's, it's sort of nature that, that there's no separate me bit. So that when you go straight to it, it's like, oh, no me here. Um, I know it's not always that simple. But, um, yeah, other, other possible phrases like um, your Joseph recommends um, sometimes, uh, and some of this language comes from the Satipatthana Sutta, the Sutta on Mindfulness, of there is a body, yeah? knowing the body as body, uh, or sensations being known. So really, again, kind of just as part of our mindfulness practice, we don't even need to do this whole other kind of practice it can be part of and it is part of you know there it is in a way in the mindfulness sutta perhaps not made as explicit as impermanence but this sense of there is a body it's not you know he's not saying be aware of your body it's it's sometimes that language comes in though so again everything you can't be 
because you see that language of I, I am breathing, you know, the practitioner feels I am breathing. So we don't want to get too fixated on the language. But I do think there's something really helpful about playing with the language because it does, again, maybe give us a different view, kind of give us a, like a, a sense of experiencing, you know, experiencing life, experiencing experience. It's still as vivid, as intimate, as alive, as difficult, as lovely. <laughs> but we're just not putting in that sort of the I, me, mine words. And then maybe there's more space there for us to just get used to, get the taste for this, in a way, much simpler, more purely immediate, um, open kind of sense of what's happening. Right. So apparently the, the great philosopher Wittgenstein said... The sense of self is a shadow cast by grammar. The power of language, you know, what we say, these words, can maybe be part of what is shaping our way of seeing. So we can, something we can play with, you know. And again, maybe sometimes it's appropriate to say I. You know, it's like, sometimes that's important, or you. Uh, it's like sometimes that could be skillful, but not in a way of, of reifying or making some kind of, you know, absolute separation, you know, but skillful means, you know, be in the service of ethics, in the service of justice, in the service of, um, you know, standing up for something. Like, you know, I'm going to. Unlike when we, you know, when we take the precepts, you know, I undertake the training to refrain from harm. You know, it's just one example of maybe that language and that sense of, you know, this one here is, is that's really important and helpful at times. Well, um, I haven't got through, that's so interesting. I have loads more to share. <laughs> maybe... Tomorrow morning, um, we'll, I can share a bit more. Um, so a couple of things just to... I wanted to share two quotes which I think point so beautifully to the, the, code, the sort of codependency or the in, interrelationship between the sort of realizations of anatta, of ungovernability and insubstantiality, and compassion, yeah, compassion kind of can help to open us to this, to this, this insight um, that we are not separate, that we are not separate, and we are not separate, and yet, you know, sometimes it can feel like that. So, um, yeah, I'll re- I want to share two quotations and then I'll try and wind this up. Um, okay, maybe I'll just go with this one. This is a passage I love from Albert Einstein. The human being is part of the whole 
called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. They experience themselves, their thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical illusion of their consciousness. This delusion of separation is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affections for a few, peop- a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole nature in its beauty. So may our practice um, be for our benefit and for for the benefit of all. May our practice deepen our capacity for compassion, for ease and for freedom. Thank you for your kind attention. So let's close our time together by chanting the reflections on the sharing the blessings with the wish that uh, any benefit from our practice or from our individual practice and from our shared practice may we experience those benefits and share them share them with all beings everywhere thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.